Christmas adverts. You either love them or you hate them. If you get a chance, watch the Apple Christmas advert. I got a text from a friend and he said, um, here's the challenge. Watch the Apple Christmas advert and try and keep a dry eye because it's tough. It's hard. What's going on in an advert that makes me shed a tear or two? One of you might have seen it. Rosie, maybe. No, you haven't. Johnny Reed, probably. Yeah. Thought you might, the tech geek that uh, you are. Check it out, though. The Apple Christmas ad. But isn't it probably uh, for all of us, John Lewis? It always seems to be a bit of a scrap between John Lewis and Marks and Spencers to see who can get uh, the, the heartstrings going the most. John Lewis, let me remind you of a few over the years. 2013. Do you remember the snowman and his journey? Well, there was a snowman made and a snowwoman made. Uh, and the snowman left after the car uh, of the little girl that made them. Uh, and he made his journey across high water and valley, across rivers, moors to the shop. And he came back with a hat and a scarf. Uh, for his female snowman friend. That was 2013. Uh, with the slogan, give someone a Christmas they'll never forget. Good old Mrs. Snowman enjoying a Christmas she will never forget. What about 2015? Do you remember the man on the moon? Do you remember that one? The little girl that through the telescope could see an old man walking around uh, on the moon <laughs> and he'd stroll up uh, to the hillside and he would sit on the bench there and he would just look into space and the little girl would see the old man through the telescope uh, and try and send paper aeroplanes there with a message. Try and send it with a bow and arrow. Uh, and then in the end, she thought of an ingenious idea and let them off with their helium balloons uh, and took a present to the man on the moon. And the present was a telescope so that the man on the moon could look at the telescope and see the little girl looking at him through her telescope with the slogan, show someone they really loved this Christmas. 2019, what do you think? The dragon, have you seen it? Pauline loves it. <laughs> Andy doesn't. No, oh, well, it's not worth looking at it, I don't think, uh, Andy. <laughs> Here's a little dragon, friend of a little girl, uh, and he can't help but set everything on fire because he gets so excited, fire comes out of his nose. So the Christmas tree goes up and the snowman melts, uh, and the ice of lake melts as uh, the dragon gets so excited. But, all, but uh, the climax is, uh, is the whole village turns on him, that the little girl gives him a present, and it's a, a, a Christmas pudding, and he comes into the banquet with a Christmas pudding, uh, and he gets a little bit excited, and out of his nostrils flares a little bit of flame and the Christmas pudding alights and everyone gives him a clap with the slogan, some gifts are more than a gift. What's happening? What do the marketers do to us? The retailer ultimately wants you to buy their stuff. That's it. That's what they do. But they never put their products on display. John Lewis does not put a product on display, and yet they want you, he wants you to buy his gift. What do they do? They get to work on your emotions, on your affections, on your heartstrings. They play the feel-good factor. 
They want you to see that John Lewis is more than a transaction. It's not just you buying their product. It's about an experience and its attachment and assurance of quality. But ultimately, what happens is that I think they induce quite a bit of guilt because you watch them. And the message is, this is what Christmas is all about. And this is what you need in order to really celebrate Christmas. And if you don't engage with us, you're missing out. This is how Christmas should be celebrated. And they're kind of half right because it's always about relationship, always the snowman and the snowwoman and the, the girl and the man on the moon with the telescope and, and the little dragon and the girl. It's always about relationship and some fallout or some distance. And Christmas brings people together. So they've kind of got it half right because it plays on our emotions. It's something that we want to engage in, but there's an inducement of guilt. Do you know what at worst the Christmas advert? Full of guilt and full of lies. Here's John's message. This is crucial for us this Christmas, that we would see God's glory and that we would receive God's grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, not full of guilt and lies. Full of grace and truth versus full of guilt and lies. Let's see God's glory together. Last week, do you remember Simon in John 1? He took us all the way up to 14. He introduced us to John and John introduced us to Jesus as the word, as the light and as life. And now we deep dive into verse 14. The word became flesh. Is we see God's glory. Here's how John wants us to view the Lord Jesus. The word became flesh. Cast your eyes back to 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And here in verse 14, the word became flesh. Why does John use the word word? He could have used several other words, many other words, but he uses this word, word. In the beginning was the word. And here, the word became flesh. Well, first of all, he takes us right back to Genesis. Do you remember that as we looked at that last week in the beginning? John's saying this is very similar to what it was like at the very beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1, the same words, in the beginning God created. Here, 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Right there in the beginning. The beginning of our time was Jesus. He was there because he's always been. He's before all things. And in the Old Testament, this word, word, this is what it was always used for, and we see it, and we've seen it in the Bible overview time and time again. We've seen that God's word is his powerful self-revelation, both in creation, in his character, and in salvation. Time and time again, we've seen God speak, and he brings forth creation. 
He speaks. His word reveals his character. He speaks and we see something of his salvation plan, something of his rescue. Do you remember that? In the escape from Egypt for the Israelites? And John is saying, now here is the personified word of God. This is God's word. It's his powerful self-revelation, both in creation, character and salvation. Here he is. And he comes in the form of a man. The word became flesh. See what John is trying to help his readers understand. The, the enormity of this occasion. The whole of wisdom, God's wisdom, he's now flesh. The, the whole of God's truth is now in the form of a man. The, the whole of God's justice, he, he's become flesh and bones. The goodness of God, he's standing before us. The holiness of God is here. Skin and hair and hands and feet. The word became flesh. When I was dating Kerry a long, long time ago, in fact, we'd just got engaged uh, and I was traveling, doing some work. I think it was in, in South America and Kerry was in Amsterdam playing squash uh, and we'd been texting. It's about a month we hadn't seen each other. Texting, phone calls, emails, wrote a couple of letters those days as well. I know, fair play. Um, I know you're all thinking that. There was an occasion where we could meet at Amsterdam Airport. I was going to fly back uh, from South America and the transfer was in Schnifel Airport, something like that. <laughs> I need a tissue, pass me that. Um, and so we had an opportune moment of about 75 minutes where all being well, I could just dash out of the terminal building and, um, and see Kerry as she came from a squash tournament. She was there for a few more days, but I was catching another flight um, back into Stansted, I think it was. And we had a moment... Well, it was about 20 minutes where we were together in flesh. It wasn't an email. It wasn't a text message. No WhatsApps those days. It wasn't a letter. It was in flesh. And here John is saying this is similar. <coughs> you see, it's God in all his fullness. It's God in all of his character. Uh, the way that he called into creation, the way that he brings salvation by his word. Here he is in flesh you see Christian here today if you're a Christian your faith is not some abstract faith your faith is not in a, a system it's not in a moral code it's not it, it, it's not in doing good things trying to follow a, a way a system your faith is an invitation to embrace a person or rather, to be embraced by that person, the Son of God, the Word of God personified. That's faith. I put my trust in a man, 
who is the fullness of God. I had a conversation with a friend recently. He knows some of you. He knows town church. And the conversation went like this. Uh, He's not a Christian, but he said, I like the way that you guys do church. He says, you're all about a a value system. I I like what you stand for. I don't have your faith, but I really appreciate your morals and your values. Ah, I was horrified. Horrified. No, no, no. No, dear friend. We trust in a man. He's flesh. He's God incarnate. God who's come down to earth. He walked this earth. It's all about Jesus. My faith is centered around this man. And John here tells us that he is the very word of God. God's powerful self-revelation, both in creation, character and salvation. And John goes on, you see this? He made his dwelling among us. John keeps hammering it home. He made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling, it literally means he moved into the neighbourhood. He moved into 48 Victoria Road would be for us. Jesus moved next door. He pitched his tent next to ours. Or tabernacle is the phrase from the Old Testament. I remember our first fam- uh, camping trip, um, Kerry and I, it was at a church weekend away. Um, a little bit of time after Amsterdam Airport, we got married uh, and we were at a church weekend away. Uh, I know what some of you are thinking, nightmare. Church weekend away and camping? That is uh, a nightmare. I remember setting up our tent um, and we did a good job. And then one or two uh, others pitched their tents around us, you know, a little way off. And then a couple of girls thought they could pitch their tent in between another tent that was just over there and our tent here with overlapping guide ropes so close to our tent. Kerry's doing junior church, but you can imagine the face of disgust on Kerry's face. Horrified. What are they doing? Pitching their tent so close to ours. There's a whole field out there. Here's the picture of Jesus. He's bunked down next to us. He's come. The fullness of God. You see the implication of this? Where is God? Shout the atheists. How do you know he's there? Conversation continued with my friend. The answer's always Jesus. Don't think we're about values or morals. Don't think we're about that in essence. We're about faith in Jesus, who has come to rescue, to save. And then, of course, we live with the morals and the values that he teaches. But my faith is in this man. This is what John is getting at. Look at verses 9 and 10, just to drop back uh, some lines with me. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Look, the word has come into the world. You see, the word has come in. Jesus has come in. But people do not recognize and they do not receive him. Can't believe in your God, says my friend. There's no evidence for him. There's no proof. I found an interesting quote this week. The atheist can't find God for the same reason that a thief can't find a policeman. No, my friend, God has made himself very, very, very clear. He's come down in the form of a man. He's come from the glory of heaven to bunk down next to us, to pitch his tent, to tabernacle with us. See what we do at Town Church? We keep holding out the word of life. We keep trying to preach Jesus. We keep trying to invite friends to events that come where they come under the sound of the gospel. The girls had a great night on Wednesday night down at Garth Park where Lisa held out the word of life, literally. Said, here's why we meet. Here's why we operate as a church. This is what you need to consider this Christmas. The truth of the gospel. We've got a great opportunity here in Bista to help people recognise and receive Jesus. He's moved into our neighbourhood. He's moved next door and we need to point people to him. Come and join me tomorrow. I'll meet you outside the gates here at uh, four o'clock. I've got Corabel, Tommy and Talitha. And we're going to fly in this street. So if you're up for it and you're free, come and hang out, put a pair of gloves on and get ready to fire them through the letterboxes. And let's see who God might bring this Christmas so that they may recognise and receive the Lord Jesus, the word of God. And you see, for those of us that believe here today, what do these words help us see? They help us see that Jesus has come and he's gone before us. That he's dwelt with us. That he came in the cold and he slept in a manger and he experienced loneliness and rejection and pain and sorrow and suffering. He dwelt among us. The son of God. Those lines in from the squalor of a borrowed stable. Let me read them from the squalor of a borrowed stable by the spirit and a virgin's faith to the anguish and the shame of scandal came the savior of the human race. King of heaven. Now the friend of sinners, humble servant in the father's hands. Filled with power and the Holy Spirit, filled with mercy for the broken man. Yes, he walked my road and he felt my pain. Joys and sorrows that I know so well. Yet his righteous steps give me hope again. I will follow my Emmanuel. He has dwelt with us. And therefore, the point John is saying, we've seen his glory. We've seen the glory of the Lord Jesus. He's a man. We've seen his flesh and blood. We, and blood. we can testify to him. We've seen his glory. 
This word glory, the full weight of the goodness of God. That's what we've seen in this man, Jesus. And it's like John can't help himself, but but reflect by using the language of the Old Testament. We've seen that in Genesis when he starts his gospel. But it's like he, he can't help himself now. And he demands that we go back into the Old Testament. He's using language from Exodus. So Exodus 40 verses 35 and 36. Let me just read these to you. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He repeats it twice. Moses, he writes, the glory of God, the full weight of the goodness of God. Man could not see it. Moses was not allowed to enter the sheer presence of God. And in Exodus 33, 18, let me read these words as well. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. We are meant to read John in the backdrop of Moses and later Elijah. Something similar happens. God passes by momentarily. And Moses is not allowed to see his face, otherwise death, the full weight of the glory of God. It's too consuming. See what John is saying? Can, can, you, can you, you feel the, the rising of excitement? We have seen what? The glory. The glory of the one and only son we've we've seen it god doesn't just pass by he's not just on his way it's not that we just catch a fleeting glimpse of his back no no he tabernacles he pitches his tent he bunks down with us and now we see Because he dwells. We see the glory of the one and only son. It's the full weight and goodness of God in this man, Jesus. Oh, what does it look like to see the glory of God this Christmas? What does it look like, not for these words to be so familiar, uh, that we go about our business as per usual, without getting gripped, without being mesmerised by the glory of God this Christmas. Well, perhaps there's two things, and we'll look at that in the second point, that are going to help us uh, to focus and see the glory of God. And it's this, if we receive God's grace and truth. 
Look at verse 14 again. Let's read it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Before we see Christmas, this Christmas time, as a joy, perhaps we need to be reminded that Christmas is a necessity. It's absolutely crucial. Luke 2 verse 11, as the angels tell the shepherds, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. Here's the bottom line. If I do not need a saviour, I do not need Christmas. If I do not think I need a saviour, I'll never celebrate Christmas for what it is. And so here's the call this Christmas for all of us. It's, it's that appreciation, understanding and kind of a, a bitter sweet understanding of a need for a saviour. It's time for sober meditation that inevitably leads to utter joy as to where you find yourself now if you're a Christian. That he saved you. See, today I need his grace. Full of grace, says John. His undeserved, lavish kindness. There's a definition of grace. It's what I need today. His undeserved, lavish kindness. It's mine if I'm a Christian. The baby in a manger becomes the man upon a cross. In my place, sobering, wonderful grace. Dear Christian, meditate this Christmas. Please stop, think, listen, and then celebrate. May it inevitably lead you to joy as you understand your need of grace. And if you're not come... Come to Christmas, hands held high. I need a saviour. We'd love to talk to you if you wanted to talk more about the Christian faith. And then secondly, look, full of truth. Full of truth. Here's Andrew Neil's request uh, to the Prime Minister. He said this this week, the theme running through our questions is trust. And why at so many times in his career, in politics and journalism, critics and sometimes even those close to him have deemed him to be untrustworthy. Could be written about any politician, couldn't it? Could be written about any person. Could be written about me. Here's Jesus who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth equals the complete fulfillment of God's promises. How do we know that God is true to his word and just because Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the promises of God? And so when I look to the politicians and when I look to the world systems and I, and I seek and scramble around for truth, do not be surprised that you cannot find it. Wondering who to vote for in this general election, it's really not straightforward. Where can you seek truth? Someone who's trustworthy. 
the Lord Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. Only the Lord Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. Oh, that we would this Christmas let God's word of truth speak out. As a family, we're trying to read and memorise John 1 verse 14. We're trying to learn it together. It's on the blackboard in the kitchen. Trying to memorise it and just let it sink in this truth. We're trying to build God-centred excitement into our home this Christmas. It's hard. It's hard not to make Christmas about the material things. We're trying to make Jesus visible. We've got young children, so I think there's, last count, five nativity sets around our house. Scattered around Trying to make the focal point of the conversation about the retelling of the Christmas story. There's the odd Father Christmas and snowman thrown in for good measure. But we're trying to make Jesus centre stage. That he would help us to get excited about the truth of the incarnation and its wonder. And how our children may get a thirst for God. Perhaps if you've got little ones, you would consider doing similar and thought. I'm sure you are, but do chat. Love to chat about how we do this together and how iron sharpens iron and we try and make Jesus the focal point. Let's wrap it up and enjoy communion together. We'll get the little ones in after we sing. There's one song that's caught my attention of this Advent season. And I don't know its name, I've just realised, but I'm going to read you uh, some of the verses. It's by Grey Havens, whoever they are, are, maybe an American Christian band. Uh, and, And it's worth listening to the lyrics. Here we go. To the serpent low, said the king upon his throne, you've deceived and you've lied. And my child has gone into exile. But I will go. I will make a way home. And I will bleed like the enemy. And in the dark, in the shadows, light has come. In the quiet, in the dead of night. Glory, glory, glory sang the angels in the highest, at last, the king has arrived.